Good morning. All right. Ohayo uh, gozaimasu. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Iwakuni. It's great to be here with you guys to worship the Lord. Uh, always, it's always good to worship the Lord, but there's something special about just getting together with the body of Christ and worshiping together, uh, something I greatly look forward to each week. So thank you for coming and thank you for uh, worshiping. Uh, with us. do want to welcome those who may be streaming online as well. I know some people uh, are uh, kind of following us uh, virtually. We pray that the Lord ministers to you as you've joined with us as well. This morning, we are going to uh, continue our study that we started two weeks ago, uh, a study that I entitled The Kingdom Life. Uh, and this is actually part three of the study, if you missed the first two portions and you'd like to hear them in their entirety, you can actually uh, visit our website. We actually have all of our Sunday morning teachings uh, on there. You can access them in, uh, for streaming or download. Now, as way of uh, reminder or just review, if you haven't been uh, with us, we've been looking at a very famous sermon taught by Jesus that uh, is recorded for us in the sixth chapter of Luke's gospel. It's a sermon that we've been referring to as the Sermon on the Plain. Now, Matthew does record the same or at least a similar sermon in his own account, a sermon that is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, There are, however, some subtle differences in the details from Luke's and Matthew's account that lead us to believe that perhaps Jesus shared this teaching on multiple occasions to different groups of people. And so in our study, we've referenced Matthew's teaching just to help us see things from a different angle. But by and large, we've been kind of treating this as separate events. And so Uh, The sermon that Jesus teaches, it begins in verse 20 of chapter 6 and goes all the way to the conclusion of the chapter down in verse 49. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at verses 20 through 26 and noted how it dealt with kingdom priorities. We looked at a list of blessings and woes that describe those who are living for God's kingdom in contrast to those who are living for the kingdom of this world. Then last week, we looked at verses 27 through 38, and we highlighted how the main emphasis was upon kingdom principles, rules to build our life upon, expectations for those who would call upon the name of Christ and seek to follow after His ways. We noted how the primary principle revolved all around love and God's desire for us to love with the kind of love that he loved us. It is a selfless and sacrificial love, a love that's not based upon merit. There's no conditions that are attached to it. It's an unconditional type of love. And we also noted how we're to live a holy life, a life that is set apart from the rest of this world. Our lives, they should look different from sinners who don't know the Lord, who haven't yielded their lives to Christ. We also noted how Not only are we not to be like this world, but how we are to be like the Lord. We are to live a godly life, okay? And then lastly, we noted how we are to live for the eternal. Our focus needs to be upon heaven and not losing sight of the finish line. We live in a reaping and sowing world, and we need to remember that God will reward those who follow Him. And it may not be immediate, 
Okay? There may not be immediate blessings or immediate rewards. Okay? It may not even be in this lifetime that we experience those blessings or rewards. But we do have a heavenly Father who sees and knows all things. And He assures us that if we uh, do not lose heart, and if we don't grow weary while doing good, that in due season we will indeed reap a reward. We will indeed reap the blessings of the Father. Now, that brings us to our third and final portion of Jesus' sermon. And this final portion deals with a couple of different kingdom parables. Okay, kingdom parables. Jesus is going to speak a few parables to his disciples and to the masses that are gathered around as he concludes his sermon. Now, Jesus often taught in parables. Okay, most of the time when he spoke in parables, he was speaking to a mixed crowd, a group of people that had believers in it and non-believers. And so he would speak in these parables. Okay? And though these are the first parables that we come across in Luke's gospel, they certainly will not be the last. Okay? Luke has recorded a number of parables that are sprinkled throughout his gospel account. For those that aren't familiar, familiar with parables, okay, a, a parable is a, a short moral story that has a symbolic meaning. A simple way to think of them is that parables are earthly stories that convey heavenly truths. The word parable itself actually literally means to cast alongside. Okay? Uh, para means uh, alongside or with, and uh, the other part of the word, I can't remember what it is, uh, but it means to cast. And so it's this idea of you're casting, you're throwing something alongside uh, in the Greek. Okay? And so, you're taking an earthly moral story, you're casting it alongside a spiritual story. Uh, parables are meant to be something that teach us spiritual truths, but only to those who will take the time to seek out the spiritual meaning that's being portrayed in the moral story or statement that's made. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at these parables, we're going to look at these statements that Jesus makes, and we're going to look to understand the earthly story, the truth of Jesus' statements, and what it means, and then search out the spiritual truth that Jesus is describing to teach, or wanting to describe and teach us from the parable. Does that make sense? We're going to identify the earthly story, okay, but he's casting along something, and we want to figure out what that something is uh, that we might make application to our own lives. So, we're going to go ahead, we're going to read this text this morning, we're going to pray, we're going to ask God's Spirit to lead us and guide us in our study and application of God's Word. Our text is going to be Luke chapter 6, verses 39 through 49. If you have your Bible with you and you haven't done so already, go ahead, open up to Luke chapter 6, uh, and then uh, once you're there, I want to invite you to rise to your feet in honor of the Lord and in honor of His Word. I'm going to read uh, today's portion. I'm reading from my Bible, which is the New King James Version of the Bible. If you're reading from a different translation, I want to encourage you, do your best to follow along uh, as we continue this account. Luke continues his account of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain with the following in verse 39. It says, And he, uh, referring to Jesus, And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. 
And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not use see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can gather together and open up your word and allow your spirit to lead us and guide us through this word. And Lord, as we look at these parables this morning, these truths, Lord, uh, we want to understand not only just the the significance of the statements that are made, but Lord, we want to understand the spiritual truth that you're trying to shed light upon. Lord, we ask that your spirit uh, would lead and guide us in all truth. And Lord, we come with great anticipation and great expectation. Lord, I know that you've called us each here. Lord, you haven't called us here just to waste an hour and a half or two hours of our morning. Lord, you want to meet with us. You want to speak to us. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear. May we not be satisfied with anything less than having heard from you and having spent time with you this morning. And so, Lord... Bless our service. Bless just the teaching of your word. Be with myself. Allow me to bring forth this word with clarity. And I pray that your blessings and your spirits moving would be upon each and every one of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. In our text, Jesus makes a few different statements that are meant to show us a a spiritual truth and or uh, spiritual truth principle. And as I see it, Jesus gives us a mix of five different parables, if you will. Uh, Some are just simple, single sentences. Uh, Others are a little bit more involved, and still others are actual hypothetical situations that Jesus uses to teach us a point. He starts off with two very simple questions in verse 30, and then he follows that up with a statement in verse 40, uh, excuse me, 39, and then verse 40, Then he gives a humorous and obviously made-up account about people with stuff in their eyes, and we'll get into that, what that is. Then he follows that account up with the parable about trees and their fruit, compares that to people and the words they speak. And then lastly, he gives us another parable about two builders that built upon two very different foundations. Okay, 
And so we're going to look at each of these declarations of Jesus and do our best under the leading and guiding of a spirit to not only understand the moral or the earthly story, but also the spiritual truth Jesus is casting these statements alongside. So let's begin with Jesus' statement in verse 39. Okay, uh, It's actually questions in verse 39. He says, And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? And so Jesus begins with two very simple questions that have two very simple and obvious answers. Can the blind lead the blind? The answer is obviously no. Okay? And he follows that up and he asks, will they not both fall into the ditch? Again, the answer here is obvious. The answer is yes. Okay? They will both fall into the ditch because neither of them can see. Okay? Real simple, right? Uh, in case you doubt me on uh, this, uh, these answers, we actually can turn to Jesus' words himself that are recorded in Matthew's gospel. Okay, Je- Jesus plainly said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, he says, If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Okay, it's not a matter of a question. Jesus says that's exactly what's going to happen. So it is a matter of fact here. Jesus said these words when he was referring to the Pharisees. The disciples, they actually came to Jesus and they told him how the Pharisees had been offended by what Jesus said. And Jesus' response was, let them alone. Okay? They are blind leaders of the blind. Okay? If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And so we understand here these very simple questions, right? We know the answers to them. And so what sort of spiritual truth is Jesus trying to point his disciples to from these two questions? I, I see here a couple things that are worth noting, okay, that are important in regards to these questions Jesus asked about the blind leading the blind. And one is that we need to be mindful of those that we allow to lead us, okay? I, I think that it is important that we're mindful of those we allow to teach us, to speak into our lives, and to have influence over us. You see, unfortunately, there are people out there in positions of authority and leadership that frankly shouldn't be, okay? And and even within the church, this can be true. These people are blind leaders. They don't know the direction they should be going in, let alone leading others in the direction that he or she may uh, be going in. I believe that it is important to check up on the things that leaders say and teach, especially leaders who are leading us in spiritual matters. You know, the book of Acts, it commends the people of Berea. Paul and uh, his disciples, they were traveling around the world. They were bringing the gospel to different areas, and they came upon uh, a, a group of people in Berea. Okay, and The book of Acts commends them for receiving the word with all readiness. These guys came and they're like, yeah, we want to hear what you have to say. They received it. Okay, they were ready to do so. But then it tells us they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether or not the things the disciples said actually lined up with the scriptures. You see, we need to be good Bereans. Okay, I invite you and I encourage you to study the Word of God, to study the Scriptures along with me and make sure that what I'm teaching isn't some crazy nonsense. Okay, that it isn't just my own opinions or my own thoughts, but that it's actually backed up and supported by the Scriptures. And this leads me to my second observation regarding these questions that Jesus asked and what he was getting at by asking them. He says, 
we need to be mindful of our leaders, okay, that they aren't blind. But we also must ensure that we aren't playing the part of blind followers as well. Okay? We need to study the scriptures. We need to be able to know whether or not someone is leading us in the wrong direction. Okay, if we don't know the way that it is right to go, well, then we can easily be led away. We can easily be misguided. And so don't be a blind follower. The Pharisees and the other religious leaders, they were blind leaders. And the people that followed them, they followed them blindly. They too were blind. They too were at fault. They have a responsibility that they weren't taking, uh, being responsible for. And Jesus indicates here that they are leading people into harm's way, into ditches or pits, your translation may read, both of which are symbols of destruction. And so we need to be aware of the direction in which we should go, and we need to make sure the leaders that we're following are leading us there. You know, quite simply, I think we just put it up there. Know the direction you should go and follow people who can help you get there, okay? That's what he's speaking about here. That's the spiritual emphasis here. Let's move on in our text. We'll take a look at the statement that Jesus made in verse 40. Read it again with me. Verse 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Jesus shares a simple statement here about a disciple not being above his teacher, but having the possibility to become like his teacher. A disciple, okay, if you're not familiar with that terminology, it's the most basic, and its most basic understanding is like a student. Okay? It's a learner or, or a pupil uh, of some kind. They are ones who sit under the instruction of a teacher or a master. But when used in the New Testament, it means more than a mere pupil or learner. Okay? A disciple is an adherent who accepts the instruction given to him and he makes it his rule of conduct, his rule of life. And so when we think of the disciples of John the Baptist, or the disciples of the Pharisees, or the disciples of Jesus Christ, we're talking about people who not only are sitting under the teachings of those people, but who are actually dedicating their life to following after these teachings. And their whole uh, conduct of life is based upon these teachings. For a disciple of Jesus, this would mean that they adhere to and accept Jesus' instruction given to them and that they make it their rule of conduct. I'm going to live my life according to what Jesus Christ teaches. That is a disciple of Jesus. And, and the basic truth that Jesus is stating here speaks about the power of influence and example. A disciple, as they follow the teachings and instructions that are given to them by their master, they will inevitably become more and more like their teacher. And this was the truth that Jesus reminded his disciples of there in the upper room. On the night in which he would be betrayed, he washed the disciples' feet. You might be familiar with that account. He said, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Jesus was giving them an example that they should follow. He washed his disciples' feet. He served them. And because Jesus was their teacher, the disciples ought to have done as Jesus did. They too should have served one another. They ought to have learned from his example and did as he did. 
that was the point he was making when he said a servant is not greater than his master. And it's the same thing here when Jesus says that a disciple is not greater than his teacher. Listen, we will never be greater than Jesus. Okay? But the more we follow his instruction, the more and more we will become like him. Okay? And I want you to note here what Jesus says. He says that everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. I want to explain something here, okay? Jesus isn't looking for perfection out of us. Some people might look at this and say, like, oh, I've got to be perfectly trained. I've got to be perfect. No, that's not what this word means, okay? He knows that we will fall. He knows that we will fail, okay? We'll fall short. This isn't what perfectly trained means, The phrase perfectly trained is actually one word in the Greek, and it carries with it a sense of being made or or becoming ready or, or suitable or equipped and advanced for a particular purpose of uh for some use or event. Okay? It can actually be used in a number of different situations. It can be used to speak of broken bones being mended and ready for use again. Say you would use this same Greek word, perfectly trained, okay? Uh, it can be used to refer to torn fishing nets that have been repaired and are now capable of being used again and catching fish again. Or it can actually be used to refer to a fully built ship that's now equipped with sails and rigging so that it's ready to sell, okay? And so it can be used in a number of these different ways. But the fundamental meaning behind this word is to put a thing in its appropriate condition, for something or someone to be fully equipped for the assigned task. Jesus uses this word here to indicate not that disciples have to be perfect, but moreover that disciples will be fully equipped, they'll be ready to do what's asked of them when they are most like their teacher. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul speaks about how we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul speaks about how those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, okay, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. As we walk after the Lord, we are becoming more and more like Christ. Oftentimes, I prayer, my prayer for us is that we would be molded and shaped more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, okay? It means to be like Christ, okay? And so that's our prayer. As the Spirit of God works in us and through us, we are being molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. And we will be most ready to be used by the Lord when we are most like Jesus in our actions, in our attitudes, in our conduct, in our character. And so the truth behind this particular statement is that we will become like those whom we follow. Okay? That will happen. (laughs) It's important then that we choose our leaders wisely. It is important that we are selective when it comes to whom we allow to speak into our lives and to disciple us. 
For we will become like the people who lead us. We see this in, in lots of different facets of life. Can, I can give you a couple of examples probably that you can say, yeah, I've seen that happen, right? Maybe you yourself, as you've grown older, despite your best efforts and your determination to never be like your parents, inevitably you find yourself doing or saying something that reminds you of something that, you know, you saw your parents do over and over and you will be hit with this thought. You'll be like, oh my goodness, you know, like I, I've become my mom or I've become my dad, you know, and you're like, man, I, I, I can't believe it. Hopefully that's not a bad thing. Hopefully your mom and dad were a good example and and, and you just roll with it, okay? But, you know, that happens because they've had so much influence in your life. They've spoken into your life. They've poured into you. And so, yeah, guess what? You're going to end up just like them, <laughs> whether you like it or not most of the time. Uh, what about people, I mean, maybe you've seen this before, people that have been married for a really long time, okay? They, they just start to look like one another and they act like one another. And it's like, wow, it kind of gets a little bit eerie and, and weird because they've learned from one another. They've grown together. They often start to look like each other, their actions, their attitudes. Uh, it's like, man, you guys could be like s- twins or something. You know, it's really weird that you just kind of become this blurred image of, of one, which I guess is a good thing, right? Because that's what the picture of marriage is, that two people coming together as one flesh. But that's another example of just these people that are influence your life. You become more like them. The people we allow to speak into our lives and to mold and shape us will be the people that we most often emulate. It'll be those who we become like. And so be very careful of who you allow to speak into your life and who you allow to mold and shape you. Okay? Ensure that they are people that you want to be like, okay? If you look at someone that's in your life and they're an authority in your life and you don't want to have anything to do with them, you don't want to be anything like them, <laughs> it's, it's time to, you know, adjust, okay? Don't allow that person to be speaking into your life. Don't allow that person to be that kind of influence in your life because you will end up being like them, okay? Don't allow that to happen. Be very careful of who you select, who you allow to lead and guide you, Okay? For us as Christians and as believers, our desire ought to be more and more like Christ. So we need to follow him. We need to follow his word and his spirit and to lead us and guide us, to mold us and shape us that we may end up more and more like him. All right? Well, let's take a look at our next two verses that speak about a topic that's very sensitive to a lot of people. Read verses 41 and 42 with me. It says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that's in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Last week, okay, we... At the end of our teaching, I told you that we would circle back around uh, to some of the ideas in our final verses from last week, namely speaking about the topic of judgment and making judgments. Last week, we looked at verse 37. If you want to look up in our text, you can peek up there and see, read it again for yourself. It starts off, judge not you sh- and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. And we really didn't take time to unpack what that means for us as Christians. And the reason I chose not to do so was because I knew that we would you know, address the issue this week as we got into this particular parable of Jesus's. 
Now, before we get into this, I need to make sure we understand something important that Jesus is going to unpack for us. When Jesus warned us about not judging and not condemning people, it does not mean that we shouldn't look at others and evaluate the situation honestly and truthfully. Jesus was warning people that we will be judged and condemned based upon the same measure that we judge and condemn others. He wasn't saying we should never use judgment or that we should never exercise discernment, or that we should never evaluate certain situations, okay? A lot of people, okay, like to say, hey, you can't judge me, you know, judge not. And it's like, "Mm, that's really not what that is saying, okay? We are to make evaluations. We are to uh, assess situations. In fact, we read uh, multiple times throughout the Bible to be... uh, commanded to do such. Jesus himself, okay, uh, exhorts us. In the book of John, Jesus is quoted as saying, he says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So are we to judge? Yeah, we just got to make sure that it is a righteous judgment, that it's not just based upon appearance. Okay, in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks about how the church in Corinth needed to judge their brother that was living in sin and actually remove him from the church. You see, there was a man living in sexual immorality. He was doing stuff that the people in the world didn't even do. Okay, he was actually sleeping with his father's wife, and the church was actually okay with it. There was almost like this sense of they were, you know, triumphing in this, like, look at us, we're so gracious, and and we're not judgmental at all, we've got this guy in our church, and he's sleeping with his dad's wife, you know, isn't that great, and and Paul's like, no, that's not great, okay, that's very, very bad, people in the world don't even do that, okay, and so Paul said that he ought to be taken away from them, he said, for I indeed as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has so done this indeed. Uh, He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And so, okay, we do need to evaluate things. We do need to test things to see whether they are genuine, to see whether they are real, but we must do so very carefully and very graciously. People don't like to be judged, okay? And it's a topic that people are very sensitive about. People can become extremely defensive when they feel like they are being judged or when they feel like they are being attacked, and they will respond um, usually not so well, okay? And it will be a harsh uh, response. And so Jesus here, he tries to make it a little more lighthearted by using some humor in his teaching. Okay, obviously Jesus is using a little hyperbole here. He's talking about a person walking around with a beam or a plank sticking out their eye. Okay, he, he isn't being literal. Okay, there isn't someone walking around with a, a two by four out of, sticking out their eye. Okay, we know that, right? Um, And so he's using this humorous story uh, to lighten the mood a little and yet still give him an opportunity to address the issue of how to properly approach others in order to help them when they're struggling with a particular problem or sin. And so this parable is about 
judging others. Jesus uses a rather silly illustration to get across a, a number of thoughts and ideas about judging and, and making proper judgments. And I've noted from our account four things that I want to just kind of highlight and pull out. Okay? The first thing worth noting is that, listen, we oftentimes can easily spot sin in other people's lives. We easily and readily notice the speck in our brother's eye. Okay? And I think there's a reason that we easily identify other people's sins, and it's usually because they are the same sins that we struggle with. Okay? Notice that there is a speck in, in one man's eye. Okay? And if you were to look up that word speck, okay, it refers to a speck of sawdust or a small splinter, a small chip or particle of wood. And then on the other hand, you have a man with a plank in his own eye, okay, made up of the same material, wood. Both of them have wood in their eye. Okay? Uh, one has a little, little tiny bit and one has a whole lot. Okay? The man with the plank in his eye, he readily spots the small splinter of wood in his brother's eye because it's the same thing that he struggles with as well. Okay? You know, it, it reminds me of times when my boys were much younger, uh, and um, I would, my family, uh, we would be getting ready to enjoy a meal together. And we would all sit down at the table and we'd be about to thank the Lord for our food. And I tell the boys, okay, boys, let's, you know, uh, fold our hands, close our eyes. We're going to pray and ask for God's blessings upon our food. And, you know, I'd pray over the meal, thanking the Lord for his provision. At the end, I'd, I'd close the prayer with amen. And, and no sooner did the word amen come out of my mouth that one of my boys would blurt out, Daddy, you know, so-and-so wasn't closing their eyes during prayer. You know, I don't know if you've, anybody can attest to that. Yeah, right? Okay. And I would usually act very surprised, (gasps) even though I wasn't surprised at all. Um, And I'd say something like, really? Well, that's not very good, is it? And man, they would be very quickly uh, to agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, that's not good. You know, they shouldn't be doing that. And and then, you know, I would then say, you know, hey, son, how, how did you know that they weren't closing their eyes during prayer? And then that's when that kind of like, you know, oh, I've been caught kind of look comes on their face and like, oh, they're real quiet, real fast, okay? You know, and we can kind of think of that example and we can relate to it. It's kind of cute and funny to think of how kids can, you know, they spot other people's sins uh, of their siblings especially. But, you know, it's not so cute when we focus on doing it to our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know? It's, it can be very harmful, in, in fact. And so... Uh, we need to make sure that we understand uh, this sense here. You know, it's easy to spot your sin in other people, okay? um, even though you miss it on your own self. And that's kind of the second thing I want to worth noting here okay, about judging is that we don't readily acknowledge our own sin. We, we tend to dismiss it or even ignore it, even though it can be so obvious to everyone else around us. As obvious as walking around with a, a two-by-four sticking out of your eye. Jesus described the man with the plank as not perceiving the plank in his own eye. He did not see the plank at all that was sticking outside of his eye. And Jesus questions this hypothetical person by asking, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove that speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Can you imagine that? I mean, it's just silly, right, for someone to have a 
a two by four out of their eye and they're going to come by and say, oh, let me help you get that little speck of something out of your eye. Like, it, it's silly. But I think we do see a very good example of this in the scriptures. We find it in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet, prophet Nathan, he comes to see King David and he begins to tell David of an account of two men in one city. Okay, one man was, a, was rich and, and the other was poor. The rich man had many flocks of sheep, but the poor man, he only had one little ewe lamb. And he treated that one little ewe lamb as if it was his very own child. And he brought it into the house and they loved on it and cared for it. And, and you know, he kind of lays it on really thick. Okay? And then we're told that a, a rich man had a visitor coming into town. And instead of preparing a meal for the man from his own flock, he stole the poor man's one ewe lamb and he prepared it for the traveler. You guys are familiar with this account? Yeah, okay. David was furious, okay? When he heard this account, he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who's done this shall surely die, and he shall restore full for, fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity and that's when nathan said to david you are the man you know some of us guys like to say you know you're the man okay and then we're like that's a good thing this is not a good you are the man okay when nathan says you are the man it was not good and he continued to really blast david for the sin which he had committed by taking the wife of uriah the hittite uh, Bathsheba lying with her and then, you know, killing Uriah by sacrificing him to the people of Ammon during battle. And so, you see, even though that story was so easily identifiable to be speaking of David and his sin with Bathsheba, David was completely blinded to it. He did not even think to put one and one together and realize that he was that man. He was like the man walking around with a two by four in his eye. He was ready to fix the other guy extremely harshly, might I add, and was blind to his much greater sin. You see, when we judge others, we often fail to consider our own sin. This was the sin of the Pharisees when they presented Jesus, a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Hey, they took the woman, they cast her before Jesus, and they said, hey, Moses says that we should stone her. What are you saying? And if you're familiar with the account, you know how Jesus responded. Jesus said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. You see, the Pharisees, they were quick to condemn, but they were blind to their own sin. The third thing worth noting in regards to judging and, and how to do this before we judge others, we must first judge ourselves. Jesus didn't forbid the helping of the brother. He simply made it clear that before he could be of any service to his brother, the man would first need to take care of his own issues. He says, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. You see, in order to be used by the Lord to help and serve others, we need to first have our own relationship with the Lord to be in a good standing. Okay? We must lead by example. If we're going to exhort our brother or sister in the Lord, we better make sure that we are practicing what we are preaching. Because if not, you're going to be just like this man with the plank in his eye. And Jesus called him a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. 
Okay? Address your own issues before the Lord, and then you can help others with their issues. The fourth and final point I need, I, I want to point out here in regards to this topic of judging is that it must be done very carefully and delicately. Okay? I don't think that it's a coincidence that Jesus used as an example a speck in someone's eye when talking about judging. Okay? This parable wasn't, you know, he got a splinter in his finger or in his toe. It's a speck of dust in his eye. The eye is a very delicate and sensitive piece of the human body. And if and when the Lord would have you to help a brother or sister out by confronting sin in their life, make sure to do it in love. Make sure that you do it in, with great sensitivity. Okay, don't go full auto, charging in, jamming your finger in their eye, okay? Be sensitive to the situation. Be caring, be compassionate, be encouraging. Call out sin, but do your best not to cause more damage and more pain and more hurt than what's already been done. Because let me tell you something, sticking your finger in someone else's eye can cause a whole lot more harm than a speck of sawdust in their eye, okay? And so remember... That when you go to your brother and, and, and sister, do so delicately. Do so compassionately and very cautiously and graciously. Remember that we will be judged in the same manner which we judge others. So be sensitive, be caring. Make sure you aren't blind to your own sin. And make sure that your own walk with the Lord is in a good place before trying to help others in their walk. Understand? All right, let's continue on our text. Take a look at the next parable Jesus speaks about dealing with trees and their fruit. Verse 43 says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. You know, sometimes when Jesus uh, spoke in parables, he would actually give the application of the spiritual truth right alongside the earthly story. And here in this text, we see Jesus speak about trees and their fruit. And fortunately for us, this is one of the examples where Jesus points us to the spiritual truth that he's wanting to identify as well. So we don't have to spend much time in figuring this one out. Jesus tells us that this parable about trees and their fruit is about people's words and how they are an indication of what's truly on the inside. This parable would have us to take inventory and to observe the kind of fruit that comes from a particular tree because we can tell what kind of tree it is by the fruit that the tree produces, right? We know that. Every tree is known by its fruit. Okay, an apple tree produces what? Apples, right? An orange tree produces oranges, right? And a cocky tree produces cocky, okay? Persimmons, okay, it's that season, okay? Um, they're very delicious, local uh, fruit here. Trust me, you'll want some, get some, all right? Cocky. <laughs> every good tree will produce good fruit, and likewise, every bad tree will produce bad fruit, or I would even say no fruit at all, okay? I- if a tree produces no fruit, it's a bad tree, okay? <laughs> uh, it's not a good tree if it's not producing any fruit, Okay? Or if it's producing bad fruit, that's another indication. It's not good, not healthy, right? And so we see a good tree will not produce bad fruit. Of course, a bad tree will not produce good fruit. You can know whether a tree is good or bad simply by inspecting its fruit. And when we apply this to our lives, Jesus says that the words that come out of our mouth, they are fruit 
if you will, of what's on the inside. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Our words say more about us than what we think. And they reveal that some are good men and some are evil men. And people can put on a show for a season, but eventually the fruit will show. Eventually what's on the inside will be revealed by what comes out of our mouths. Jesus said that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Okay? That's how powerful your words are. By your words you will either be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. Okay? How does that play out? How does that work out? Some of you may be thinking, and I believe the answer is found in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, it states that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10 asserts that when our heart believes, our mouth will confess, and we will be saved. We will be saved from the condemnation we should have received on the day of judgment if it were not for Christ cleansing us of our sins and washing us clean. And so, we must ask the question, what does your language reveal about the real you? Does your speech identify you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you speak the truth? Do you honor God with your speech? Do you speak kindly towards others? We are exhorted to speak the truth in love, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And in Colossians, Paul urges us, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. You see, our words are very important. And what comes out of our mouth, it truly is an indication of what, that which is in our hearts. That's the spiritual truth that he's saying here. Okay. What comes out of your mouth, you know, people say, oh, I don't know where that came from. I know where it came from. It came from your heart. Okay. What comes out of your mouth is an indication of what's in your heart. Let's tackle this last parable, see how Jesus concludes the sermon. Verse 46 through 49, he says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the streams beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. The final portion to Jesus' sermon on the plain is a parable about two builders and the foundation they built their houses upon or, or lack of foundation. Okay? And once again, Jesus gives us the spiritual truth that he's wanting to get across. But this time he begins with the truth in verses 46 and 47, and then he follows it up with a parable that used, is used as an illustration of that truth. The main emphasis here is upon people that call Jesus Lord, Lord, and yet don't do the things which he says and teaches. You see, to call Jesus Lord is to state your allegiance and devotion to him. You are submitting yourself to his authority. You are yielding your life 
to him and you are vowing to live your life in submission to him and to his teachings and jesus is baffled by the idea of people referring to him as lord and yet not actually following through with what jesus commands of them it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever if he is lord then you will do as he commands jesus declared if you love me keep my commands keep my commandments John also stated that we ourselves will know if we truly know the Lord by whether or not we keep his commandments. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, it says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments. John says, you know what? You're a liar. Okay? And he says that the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Jesus was emphasizing the need for people to come to him, to hear his sayings, and then to put those sayings into action. And to illustrate this truth, Jesus references a parable about two builders building what seems to be identical houses. And the only difference being the foundation that they built upon. One man digs deep, okay? He labors into it. He lays that foundation down deep on the rock. The other man didn't bother to dig at all, okay? And he just lays his house with no foundation. He simply put his house right on the ground, the earth, the topsoil, okay? And both of these houses, they experience the same adversities, the effects of flood waters, presumably based upon storms that pass through. The house that was founded upon the rock, it withstood the floods because it was founded upon a firm foundation. However, the house that had no foundation, it fell and it was greatly ruined. And so what does this parable teach us spiritually? Well, spiritually speaking, building your foundation upon the rock is like an the man that comes to jesus listens to his word and obeys jesus's teachings building upon the rock means our foundation upon which we build our lives is the teachings of jesus christ jesus christ and his teachings are the firm foundation there is no other foundation that we can build upon first corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 says for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is jesus christ Building our foundation on Him may mean we have to dig a little deeper. It may mean a little bit more from us. Okay? It may mean we have to make some sacrifices as we surrender ourselves to His teachings, but it will be well worth it, for our lives will withstand the storms of life, and our lives will stand for all of eternity. We must build our lives upon the firm rock of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, previously in the parable about the trees and the fruit, Jesus spoke of the importance of our words, our speech. But here the emphasis is upon actions, our response to God. We need to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. James, in his epistle, he says that if we are not doers of the word, we are deceiving ourselves. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How do we deceive ourselves? By thinking that simply hearing the word of God or knowing the word of God will bring us the blessings of a right standing with God. 
Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, okay? Not, you know, hear the word of God and memorize it, okay? <laughs> it doesn't matter if you memorize it, okay? You have to keep it. Also, Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, okay? It doesn't matter if you know the word, okay? It doesn't matter if you hear it, you actually need to do it. Put it into practice. The blessings come in keeping His Word, in doing His Word. Because there are many people that come to church and they hear the Word of God. And there are many people that read the Word of God. And there are many people that know the Word of God. But there are actually far fewer that actually apply it to their lives and make the appropriate changes. This is where we must be different. Okay? We must apply God's word to our lives and be doers of the word and not just hearers. Okay, don't come here on Sunday and, and write down notes, be like, oh yeah, this is good stuff. Hopefully it's good stuff. But you know, it's God's word. Okay, you know, write that down and then just, you know, once you leave this place, you never think about it again until you come next week, you're like, oh, I got some notes in here. You know, what did that mean? I, let, we need to apply this to our lives doesn't matter if you know something and you can agree with it and say, oh yeah, I believe that. If it doesn't impact your life, if it doesn't lead to change, it's like Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord? Yeah, you don't do what I say to do. I love the way that he concludes this sermon. By wrapping up this sermon, Jesus, he gives them all sorts of wonderful truths pertaining to the kingdom life. He spoke about kingdom priorities, kingdom principles, and he ends here with some kingdom parables. And the last thing that he had to say is basically, now go put all of these things into practice. Okay? Don't just be a hearer of my word, be a doer of my word. Go and apply all of these things to your own life and live for the kingdom of God. Live for the kingdom of heaven. And so that's our application as well, you guys. Okay, take all these wonderful truths that we've unpacked over the last few weeks and make sure to apply them to your life. Make sure that you are living for God's kingdom, that your priorities are in alignment with the kingdom's priorities, that you are living according to the kingdom's principles, and that you are applying these spiritual truths that were given in the kingdom parables, that our lives would look like the way they're supposed to as citizens in God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and this opportunity we've had to get into it, Lord, and really this whole entire sermon, Lord, looking at just your kingdom and the life that you would have for us, Lord, the priorities, the principles, these parables. Lord, we want to apply them all to our lives, Lord. We want to not just be hearers of your word we want to be doers of your word lord we don't want to be satisfied with just you know a mental study or or acknowledging something lord we want our lives to be different we want our lives to have an impact for your kingdom and so lord we ask that your holy spirit would be with us that your holy spirit would empower us lord in and of ourselves we wouldn't be able to live this kind of life but you've given us your spirit that he might empower us, that he might lead us and guide us on this journey that we're on. And so, Lord, by your Spirit, I pray that you would strengthen us for the life that you've called us to. Lord, that we would live 
out loud our faith, that our words would scream, I love Jesus, that our actions would declare to everyone around us that I love Jesus, that we're not ashamed of you. And Lord, I pray that as we do so, that there might be some around us that might respond to that work, that might, Lord, by your Spirit, be joined in the kingdom as well. Use us for your honor, for your glory. Use us to impact the world around us, Lord, that we might bring more into your kingdom until that day you call us home. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.